0: Ed Kirwan is a storyteller, a filmmaker, a creative, but an educator at his core. He taught science in North London at the age of just 22. He dealt with kids that had a lot of anger in them, a chip on their shoulder, and a real lack of motivation. Their thought processes revolved around a fear of failure, being judged, and a lack of aspiration. Ted deferred from the usual teaching methods as he didn't see them as very effective. So he would play basketball with the kids and build a trusting relationship with them. And ultimately one that included empathy, a skill that he believes is the most important to our development as human beings. Yet it's one that's never, or at least almost never practiced or developed at schools. So Ted started Empathy Week in 2020 where students are inspired by stories of incredible people that TED films around the world. The content is gripping and engaging. Five stories are shown over five days, followed by discussing the social, cultural, and moral themes in class. Then they complete their own empathy action projects, creating solutions to challenges that can change the world. I loved connecting with Ted. I really loved having this conversation and I really hope you do too. Happy listening. This message is for the guys. While I believe in seeking discomfort in a lot of areas of my life, there are certain ones where I'll never sacrifice comfort. And that's why I wear Undergoods. Undergoods is a Dubai-based homegrown brand of ridiculously comfortable underwear. And it was started by two great guys who were just sick of paying for overexpensive, uncomfortable, and low-quality underwear. I've been wearing it for both my runs and my regular work days, and I absolutely love them. It's so soft, it's sustainable, and they come in three different fits. Fitted, long-fitted, and relaxed. I also got my hands on some limited edition prints, which are super cool. So go to undergoods.com and use discount code FOREVERSTUDENT for 20% off. That's undergoods.com spelled U-N-D-R, it's basically under without the E, and then G-O-O-D-S. Ed Gehrman. Welcome to The Forever Student. Thank you very much for having me. Great to be here. It is a pleasure. We got introduced by mutual friend, uh, Louis Blake, who's introduced me to a number of guests actually. But this episode I'm particularly excited about because today we are going to talk about predominantly empathy, but I know that we're going to cover a whole bunch of other stuff. But let's kick off with empathy. What? How do you define it? What is it? Yeah, great question. And I define it differently to the dictionary, as do
1: a lot of people, I think, in in the empathy space. But ultimately for, for us, for me, it's about creating um, a space for someone to be their authentic self whilst reserving judgment. Um, and that last bit is pretty key, I think. Right, it's not about not judging. Ultimately, we all judge. We all have our biases. We all have our stereotypes. A lot of us don't like to admit that. And so... Empathy is actually about partly about identifying yourself, that you have these yeah, biases and stereotypes and you have your own cultural lens. And so when you're trying to connect with someone, that often, whether you're aware of it or not, uh, presents itself in the way of actually fully understanding someone else. And so it's about reserving that judgment. And it's a skill. We, we always define it as the skill that allows you to connect with someone. And in the most simplest way possible, there's I I talk about empathy a bit like leadership if you speak to leadership experts they'll go oh well there's hundreds of types of leadership and there's a lot of different types of empathy as well but to keep it really simple is purely you know nitty-gritty it's about understanding and if you can think of it always like that and as a neutral construct rather than oh it's about feeling for someone when they're feeling down actually bring it back to it's about understanding and that means it's about understanding someone you don't agree with, as well as someone you do agree with, someone that you like, as well as maybe someone you don't like. It's a neutral. And I think that's a really useful way to think of empathy and how to define it.
0: And is it usually with other people? Could it also be something that's linked to yourself? We always say that actually to really, truly empathize with someone else, you have to
1: empathize first with yourself. And I'll be honest, when I first you know said that or thought about that, or I was explained that by some of... The people who kind of advise me that have studied empathy for a long time. I'm someone that I would say I don't like wishy-washy stuff. My background's in science. I studied biochemistry degree at university. I was a science teacher for three years. I like facts. I like evidence. Um, But it's true. You have to understand the way that you see the world before you can truly understand, or try. You'll never truly understand, but try to understand the way that someone else sees the world, and it makes complete sense. You know, if I if I look at myself. I am privileged in the sense that I am white. I'm born in the UK. I'm male. I'm straight. I'm tall as well. That's also an advantage. But instead of feeling guilty about all of this, which I think a lot of people do, they start to feel guilty, which guilt only leads to an action. Actually, it's about recognizing that, putting it to the side. And then when I'm listening to, you know, some of the people that I filmed, for example, a woman who I met in the middle of a Black Lives Matter protest in Brixton in London and then turned her story into a film it allows me to connect with someone that potentially before is so distant from my own experience but I can you know reserve those thoughts and maybe those initial kind of knee-jerk reactions to some of her story maybe some things in me that are niggling saying that can't be true oh that didn't happen you know I'm actually being honest with myself and saying those things and being honest with with her as well her name's Natasha she's a, an amazing friend of mine now She actually was a BBC Radio 1 Extra DJ and was known as Melody Kane. And what happened from me learning to empathise with myself is it's allowed me to connect with people who have such different experiences to mine and then actually almost build a friendship out of that as well. And we're like the most unlikely pair, but we like, I need to catch it. It reminds me now I need to catch up with her, but empathising with yourself first is so crucial. Um, And it's about kind of humbling yourself as well it's about saying you know i think especially in leadership when i when i t- sometimes speak to people in corporate jobs and they're like well i've got these years of experience so therefore i understand the way that it should be done and ultimately you can you can think about empathy in that situation as well and say well actually the world is moving so fast you know if, if i if i think i'm 30 I used to be a teacher as well i actually think now that generations aren't 15 to 20 years, whatever they are. Generations are now, digital generations, about five years. Because kids don't even use WhatsApp. They're using Snapchat for group chats. You know, the, there was a survey that came out. I'm trying to keep on top of teacher data. Education is my main, my main thing that I'll explain maybe later on. But students think WhatsApp is for oldies. Now, isn't that that's depressing, right? So, like, when you, when you actually get these people come into your businesses, that have just left uni and they don't use WhatsApp, that's something as a leader or as a, an organizational leader, you should go, why? W- what's the trend there? Why is it that they don't use that? But I think it's about, you know, empathy for yourself can also be really important to just hum- for humbling yourself and learning. And I think empathy is a crucial skill in learning and self-development. But it does start with yourself, yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think one of the interesting things you just said is the new friend that you made during the Black Lives Matter protest or is probably a friend that you wouldn't have made, uh, if you weren't filming, right? Like, or if you weren't looking for a story necessarily. And it got me thinking about, I guess the bigger picture here, like when you look at different cultures, different religions, um, different hierarchies within a business, I think also the reason that they don't necessarily hang out with others is because of this lack of understanding effectively, a lack of empathy and potentially a lack of open-mindedness. Like, do you agree with that? Is that something that you also see as quite prevalent?
1: Yeah. And I actually saw it when I was teaching at school. So I I came out of university at 22. I'd actually done a year in industry. Uh, I'd been a research scientist in a lab studying uh, human papillomavirus, which causes cervical cancer and genital warts and it sounds very interesting. Like I was looking at dissemination of the virus. The reality is it was a job that I kind of hated. And I left university and went into school and teaching. And I loved it. Super diverse school, 1,600 kids in, in North London, big school for the UK. And we had, I think at the time, the stats were 88% were ethnic minority background. 66% English was their second language. Um, a lot of students were pupil premium. You can think of that as... Needing extra support financially, those sorts of things. Super diverse, super multicultural, amazing. But then at lunchtime, you go onto the playground, and then you do get Afro, Afro-Caribbean boys hanging out in a corner, the girls hanging out, and the Turkish girls hanging out in a certain corner, the white British girls hanging out in a certain corner. And I I remember stood there and I was like, in classes, they all kind of talk to each other and they get on. But when you give them the opportunity and the free time, and the free space, and that's not true, you know, it's not like complete segregation, but it is noticeable that they hang out with their own ethnic backgrounds. And I think a lot of that is because a lot of the kids come secondary school. You know, we had some refugees at the time. Uh, The area that I was teaching in Enfield in North London at the time had the highest mobility rate, meaning most movement of families in and out of a borough in the whole of London. And a lot of that, you know, I had sometimes students arrive in my class don't speak a word of English. And having a Spanish girl just arrive, not a word of English. And so I was like, you know, trying to translate my lessons. And there is just something tribal about humans that we we like to try and pretend there isn't, but there is. And it's, you know, maybe some people will call it Darwin evolution. Others, you know, would just say it's a natural instinct. But we like to belong. Ultimately, one of the biggest things that we search for as humans for our own well-being and our own happiness is is to belong and if you can speak your own language and be fully understood by someone else you, you belong and ultimately that's what we search for that's why we move jobs it's why we move locations it's why we go on certain holidays you know would people really go you know I'm just trying to think of like the classic British uh, budget holiday you know would, would would people really go to the Canary Islands uh, if there wasn't some sort of like English speaking um you know you get your English breakfast in the morning, all these things that like you know keep you almost attached to home, but you 're in the sun, you're having good fun. If it was truly traditional, most people wouldn 't go on holiday, yeah. and so hotels do a great job of making people feel be- that they belong when they go go away and for anyone that's backpacked or or kind of truly traveled you'll you'll understand that how much it opens your view of the world, because you might all of a sudden be in the middle of Thailand or in an airport that doesn't have signs in English. And you're like, actually, I need to ask someone and they don't speak English. And then you're using sign language. And that's kind of an example of your empathy world expanding. Yeah, Yeah. I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but ultimately, I think that we naturally are tribal. We naturally have an affinity to people that look like us, that sound like us that acts like us, and part of empathy is understanding, recognizing that in yourself. So that's again bringing it back to empathy for myself. Recognizing what you like and who you are, who you fit in with, and then to truly empathize with someone else, you have to bring it back to actually. I do need to push myself a little bit further. I do need to try and understand. I need to recognize that this maybe festival is important to my colleague, uh, whether that's like you know, Ramadan or another festival or, you know, a Jewish festival or whatever, just because it's not in my calendar and therefore I just think it's not important in my culture. There's so many elements of that. And I think we just have to recognise that, yeah, the world, the way that the world has moved, we have, I always talk about this in the sense that people always say that there's an empathy deficit in the world. And I would agree, but I wouldn't put it all on us. So if you think 200 years ago, you wouldn't experience people from all different cultures. What has got us to this point? Globalization and digitalization. I can now watch, even if if you think about the last 20 years, I can now watch, unfortunately, someone being bombed in Ukraine, someone fleeing Syria, someone um, in Venezuela trying to get across the border, all in the space of 10 minutes. I can observe and I can access all this information and it's overpowering, it's overwhelming. And part of our protection is to switch empathy off so that we're not. our brains aren't going crazy. And, and we're, we're exposed to so many different cultures. But again, that, bringing it back to that tribal nature, we're only equipped really from birth to like understand our own. And you think about the culture of your own family and how you're brought up. And all of a sudden, as the digital world's expanded, you can now see anyone from any culture. And also, you can also put people in a box. So you could see, I don't know, Australian bloke doing something horrible. And that could give you the perception of all Australians, which is wrong. You could equally see someone in the US or someone in Nigeria doing something amazing. And you could put all those people in a box. Again, not true. There's, there's an equal amount of people who do good, bad. I, I like to think of people generically as good and humans are so wanting to help each other the whole time but we now live in this world that is so interconnected and we haven't figured out yet how to live with that and how to help each other in a way that actually is helpful we can all we can all think of our own solutions but for example I don't know Stefano might come to to Dubai and see you and I bring a chocolate bar and you're I think you're vegan right no, I'm not. Louis is. I'm not. <laughs> Louis is. That's probably the the Louis connect. Right, I go to Louis maybe. Buy him, a, buy him a nice dairy milk. And he goes, this is really kind. But I don't, you know that I don't eat dairy milk. I'm like, oh, yeah. And I, I always say that kindness is wasted without empathy. And I've got a bit of a thing against random acts of kindness. Because random acts of kindness are always led by the person initiating it. And it doesn't always result in the... Uh, response that you want. We need to start leading with empathy first, kindness second, so that you can actually truly help and make someone's day better. Sometimes those random acts of kindness come off. But majority of the time, you know, you actually have to think about what does that person want in that situation first?
0: Yeah, totally. And I think I mean, you made some really good points here. One is uh, looking at globalization, looking at you know, the new digital world, there's obviously huge pros and there's some cons in it. I think if you're an open-minded, curious person, uh, willing to learn about new cultures and patient with it and, um, and effectively like not making decisions based on one or two interactions, it's potentially a beautiful world, right? Like I also think comfort comes into this. Like if you're, brought up in, you know, the UK, and you went to an all boys school, and they're all white boys, and you travel to, you know, the south of Spain, where you see the same people that you see in the UK, then you're sheltered from what the rest of the world really looks like. And then backpacking in Thailand is going to be a massive shock for you. Um, not being able to speak English with someone is going to be a massive shock for you. But I think, you know, this is why we're so fortunate Being brought up here in Dubai, where, you know, the school I went to had 110 nationalities, pretty much every country in the world was in one school and multiple people from each nationality, right? So like the people that we would interact with, we would go to their homes and we would learn about their culture and their religion and their upbringing and their traditions and their food and their music. Like all of that was, you know, sort of instilled in us from a young age. Now, not everyone's that lucky. Um, and I think it's also not easy for me, you know, being in this privileged position to, um, to look at someone else and say, you know, that's right or that's wrong. But I think it starts with empathy and it starts with building. Um, it's almost a habit, right? Like it's almost a skill that you have to build and, and be very conscious of when you're practicing it. Now, before we get into empathy week, which is something I really want to speak about, Like, how do we go about, because I know that in Empathy Week, you're going to speak about the question I'm going to ask you, but how do we go about building this skill? Like, what are sort of fundamental ways to become more empathetic? Yeah, it's a question I always get asked. And I think the easiest
1: answer is increase the amount and diversity of your experiences. It's as simple as that. So we love routine, and routine is super important for us as humans, for health. Um, to expand your skill of empathy is is ultimately about disrupting that every now and again, and you can think of it like a comfort zone. I often describe everyone's kind of used to that idea of a comfort zone circle, and you break it and then expand. I I sometimes call like you've got an empathy circle or an empathetic circle. People that sit in inside it that you understand that you feel comfortable around that you can truly be yourself and you feel seen and heard. Right, and then you maybe go to another country and you live with locals all of a sudden that that's kind of under threat and you're forced to pop it because the only people around you are the people that are around you and you want to still connect with them but then you go to their house and you know I'm thinking of myself when the first empathy week I filmed in India and actually I went out there to help them develop a leadership course um alongside so I did a master's in leadership and education ended up um working alongside slum soccer an organization that now has a Bollywood film about them as well, where they took people off the streets and out of slums and used football as a tool to, to move them on in life. And I helped them develop a leadership course alongside their kind of football program. And I remember there's a, um, one of my, he's one of my best friends. I always call him a brother. And it sounds a bit, you know, oh, you know, classic, you went across. And, but I literally sat on the back of his bike for three months, ate with his family. And anyone that's been on the back of a bike in India knows that you are a trusting that person with your life. Um, And it was in the middle of India, Nagpur. I'd never heard of it. The only other Westerners that I was around for three months were um, a guy called Koichi from Japan and a guy called Marvin from Germany. Apart from that, we were just, you know, I had to communicate. And luckily, loads of them did speak English. But sitting on the floor, I remember going to Pankaj's house in a day. We stopped off, got some water whatever. And um, his house is made of mud. And I said to him, you do realise that loads of people would just be like, you're in extreme poverty. And they just burst out laughing. <laughs> and it's, it's just that like, kind of like, yeah, actually, even I was like, you're in poverty. And it's like, he, he says, I'm not in poverty anymore. This is just our house. And then we walk in, his mum's sweeping, uh, like got this rag and this um, bucket and it's just wiping the floor and it's kind of like solidifying the mud or whatever. And then Pang is like, oh yeah, she's just spreading cow dung everywhere. And I was like, oh, ah, yeah, yeah, cool. And he was like, no, no, I'm being serious. And I was just like, what? And he was like, yeah, no, it cleans and it's, you know, it keeps the mud together. And and then I was like, okay. And then that night we sat on the floor and ate dinner together, you know, with our hands and sat on the floor that's just been washed with cow dung. It's just like, what that day for me, my, you know, my empathy bubble was like, wasn't even allowed to heal. It was just completely destroyed. Right. I was just experiencing so many things and it's why it's so vivid in my memory. Right. Because I just experienced so many different things and had such then a different insight, even Pankaj laughing, you know, with me saying that people, you know, I could film him and make basically a poverty porn video showing, oh, this, he's got to go around the corner, get water out of the well. And he's just there laughing being like, oh, shut up. Should we go to KFC later as well? You know, (laughs) just like all these things. So that, that for me is an example of like a really extreme circumstance. And to bring it back to your point, like how can people develop the skill of empathy Obviously, not everyone can do that. Um, and it links nicely to Empathy Week in a sense that we use film to develop that skill. So, within your own bedroom, and now because of the world of social media, a great way to use social media is to follow people that inspire you, that live really extreme different lives. Um, there's a guy that I used to follow, I stopped following him now, but just because I didn't want to see the videos anymore, but he was like basically a fisherman. And his videos were him sliding on, with that. and it was quite funny. But then I realized it just didn't actually add that much to my life. But it still gave me an insight into it. Wow, that's actually what it's like on a trawler. And then you can follow someone who's you know a monk, or you can follow someone who you don't agree with as well. I always say to people, follow news outlets, some that you agree with, some that you don't. Because the the, the thing about empathy is it basically silos you, if you just let it. You follow people that look like you, you follow people that are interested in the same things as you do um it's why when it comes to elections people were like so surprised when the result goes the other way because most of the people that you're friends with on social media probably have similar political views to you or you align yourself with those people and so it does become a shock or you don't and you therefore you don't have an, a view of the world as it is um and i'm not talking about promoting people who have hate speech or i'm not saying you know follow them and like their posts. I'm saying just broaden your horizons slightly. Think of ways that you can experience a different world. Maybe that's, okay, we always go to our favorite restaurant uh, once a month. Why don't we change that to a different cuisine every month? Now, that's a very privileged thing to do, but it's just an example of, okay, you're going to meet new people. You're going to meet a different type of food. You can ask the people in there. And I just think it doesn't have to be complicated. It really doesn't. Uh, The problem is it takes time and it takes consistency of effort and it takes, you know, you actually have to have intent behind it. There has to be intent behind your curiosity. Um, A lot of people are like, okay, you know, Ed, can you come and do an empathy workshop at our work and link it to leadership or link it to inclusion diversity? Yeah, I can. But if you think that you're going to then just have automatically super empathetic employees, you've got another thing coming. You know, you've got to actually think, okay, how are we going to, and I can work with them to do that. But how are we going to implement this over, over time? And something that I I'll give this away a little bit, but something that I always do, whether it's a school assembly, whether it's, a, you know, I've done creative workshops, I've done conferences for travel bloggers, I've done corporate workshops and things as well. And I always start with the same question. And it's a, it's a survey and it says, how empathetic do you, are you in the world? How empathetic are other people to you? and then how empathetic is the world right now. And the trend has oh, never been broken, in the, and obviously the numbers vary, but generally it's people rate themselves four out of five as how empathetic they are. They rate other people as three out of five, and then they rate the world as two. Now in a closed system, which the world is technically, those are, the, the law of averages should state that those numbers are the same. And what's even more interesting is if you do it in a work team, And you say, you change the questions to how empathetic are you at work? And then how empathetic are other people to you at work? The numbers are still four and three, which means that everyone in the room is basically saying you're actually less empathetic than you think you are. But also everyone in the room is saying that they're more empathetic than everyone else. And that is the key problem with the way that we are in the world, is that we are so absorbed in our own perspective. We are so absorbed in the way that we feel the world should be. That we very very rarely listen to other people or we think we are but we're not and so the way to change that is shut up listen actually take time to just you know read a book watch a film that you wouldn't usually do um, go to a museum you wouldn't usually see you know try and find things like actively search for those experiences that are with with beyond your comfort zone beyond what you've usually experienced and do it and don't live a life of kind of fear and worried about you know i don't know i'm just thinking of a really easy example but like i'm i'm scared of sharks right like like really scared and i think it just comes from the fact that i just watched every nat geo shark week documentary that was available when i was a kid but i wouldn't let it stop me from maybe wakeboarding or trying wakeboarding you know you can't live in that zone of fear And you have to just kind of control, it's easier said than done, but kind of control that fear and maybe move up to it. And I think people live in a a zone of fear. And I think people are also scared of how they're perceived. So it's not so much about people not wanting to go and experience another culture. It's more them worried about how they are perceived by that culture.
0: Yeah, or by just the people around them, right? Like I think if you look at, If you look at, you know, someone being raised in a conservative or traditional family, and then they have their close circle of friends that they've grown up with. Uh, And actually, I'm not prime example, but like, I, I grew up in a small town in Holland, where if you go back to that town, all the same people are still there. Right? So, and I'm the guy who went to the big city and like, did all these crazy things. So like, when I go back there, and I have conversations with people, it's just a completely different mindset, right? Like, and, and when I tell them about, okay, cool, like I traveled to this country and I did that. And um, for them, it's so foreign. Like it's such a foreign concept to, to break the cycle, I suppose, and do something that's totally outside of the comfort zone or the empathy zone. Um, I think travel would be one thing, experiences would be another. Um, but the fear of judgment I think not just from the people within the country that you're traveling to, but like your direct community. When, when I small town boys say, I'm going to go and I'm going to travel to South Korea. I'm going to spend a month there and I'm going to backpack around. Everyone's going to be like, you're, you're mad. And I think that's also like this discouraging thing then of like, do you then proceed with, um, with what you really want to do? And like, what, how do you then, you know, continue to do that? Yeah, I can relate to that as well. I'm from Oxford, and it's, that's not even
1: a small town. It's quite a reasonable-sized city. But yeah, I think about the people that I went to school with, uh, or a lot of people I went to school with, and they have just kind of lived out that that dream. And to be honest, also, that's fine. You know, There's nothing also wrong with that. I think um, a lot of people do, like, security and comfort, and that's fine. The problem it's an issue when it leads to, you know, politics and being welcoming to other people. And again, I think that comes from fear, you know, the classic English Brexit scenario where, you know, people on TV saying they're going to come over and take our jobs. Um, and there's a hilarious interview where there's a guy literally saying that. And um, the woman says, okay, what's your job? And he says, well, I don't have one at the moment. And then she says, well, how can they be taking jobs? And he's like, well, <laughs> they just are. They're just coming over and taking all our jobs. It's like, but you don't have a job yourself. But yeah, but that's, you know, and he's just like, there's no job. He's almost like complaining there's no jobs to be had. Um, But but the people that are coming over are actually doing the jobs that he doesn't want to do. And it's just an example of, I think, fear. Again, like a system based on, on fear and people not wanting to go beyond their comfort zone we we will just retreat into what's comfortable um and I think that's important to you know you don't want every day of your working week being pushed outside your comfort zone because that'll be exhausting so it is about just how do I how do I just experience new things and that can be trips for those that are privileged enough to trips abroad but like I said it can be so simple it can be listen to a podcast you've never listened to before Listen to something about, I don't know, psychedelics if, you're, if you've never listened to something about psychedelics and listen to something about drug reform or listen to true murder if you never listened. Just ex- try and experience different things and different thoughts and different perspectives. And if you can do that over time, you're going to just be more broadened and you're going to become more patient. So what I learned when I was a teacher And this came out of my mouth accidentally, but it's probably the best thing I've said or or that I live by now as well. And I sent this young lad out just to call off and I never shouted because I was just like, there's no point fighting fire with fire. I just said, right, there's a reason you're behaving the way you are, but there's no excuse for it, right? So you can't chuck things around. There's no excuse for that behavior, but there's a reason. What's the reason? And if you can get to the reason of behavior, you can understand it. It doesn't excuse it but you can understand it. So this this young lad turns out, you know, stuff hadn't had breakfast, um, trouble at home, a bit annoyed, restless, hasn't had much sleep. Okay, that kind of explains why you're the way you are. Doesn't excuse it, but now I know. Is there any way I can support you? Oh, no, sir. Uh, Just, yeah, I don't know. Thanks for asking. And it's like, okay, no response, but he now knows that I know. And therefore, next lesson I can be, Slightly. I don't have to say it in front of everyone. How's home? It's all right. What's going on? Yes, yeah, sir. No, it's all right. Then he starts to know that I actually do care about him. What happens? He starts behaving better. I don't have to tell him off. I'm reinforcing his behavior with positive reinforcement, with care, with love. Love is a word that's not used at school enough because people are scared to use it. But it is love. You, you create an environment. Where people feel safe where they feel seen where they feel heard and you create an environment of love where they actually are like right I can work here and I didn't realize it at the time when I was teaching but creating that environment which I did and again I didn't really overthink it I just realized it was a good behavior technique allowed me to to help my students learn science and for them to feel respected and I used to hear other teachers struggling with certain students and there was one group of particular boys that called, labelled themselves the U gang um, for obvious reasons, they all got U in their mocks. <laughs> so they all got ungraded. Um, for anyone that has a different grading system, and it's, it's now changed in the UK as well, that basically means you, you, you get a U for 0%. So you're very close to 0% or under 10% at least. And I remember I inherited this group of boys, 24, school thought, right, we're going to all put them in one group. They're disruptive in every other class they're not working well academically. Let's put them in. I had a few months with them. I had only a year rather than two years to get them to their GCSE. Three months in, they've done a mock and they've all got used. And I'm like, this is terrible. Um, And I had, I had a lot of kudos with them. I coached them basketball. Um, They were 15, 16 year old lads. I was better than all of them, um, which helped, but I coached, I coached them basketball, but still it was, it was a struggle. And they came in with so many problems, but they started to realize that I cared. And that then I started leveraging the fact that they were seen as the underdogs and told them that. I said, everyone's expecting us to fail. Using plurals, using us, making us a team. I used to show so many basketball motivational videos of like Kevin Durant and LeBron James. And they'd be like, so can, can we put one on? I was like, if you get these questions done, yeah. And they'd be like, leaving pumped probably not the best idea (laughs) sending them on to the next lesson but like making them believe that they can achieve despite what people say of them and over time that really started to get into them I mean I still had to change things like bunts and burners with that class you know when some of them are being arrested by police one of them one of them was in a a cell the day of his chemistry exam so he got 0% for that and it's just still about but they all left without use every single one of them didn't get you. Some of them got B grades, some of them got C grades, some of them did get E grades, like the the young mm. lad that, <clears throat> excuse me, the young lad that was in a cell, but I mean he got zero percent of a third of his whole exam. So the fact that he got an E, had he not been a cell, he would have probably got a B. And it's just, but what that group taught me is that resilience and persistence and leading with connection, leading with creating an environment where you can say something silly and put up your hand. Where you will have your back, you know, supported with by your teacher, and that you will be held accountable for your actions as well, leads to an environment of trust and relationships. And if you can build trust, you can then build well-being. And so many schools and companies are talking about well-being this, mental health this. How do we do this? How do we improve? And we're forgetting, it's almost like we're just looking for the cure on the other side. But actually you flip, you go above that, you go to the other side. We need to actually just create connection. We need to create trust.
0: And that will lead to well-being. How do you apply this in like a work setting? Because I think what you've done in this school, I mean, phenomenal, right? I think like you've changed, not just sort of the way that these kids think about authority, the way they think about the importance of doing well in school, the importance of getting along with uh, the rest of their class, etc. But when you look at... You know, if someone's listening to this today, maybe a CEO, um, maybe just, you know, your regular employee, but like, h- how would they go about, you know, doing this in their, in their direct environment? Yeah,
1: I would do a 360 empathy survey or an understanding survey. Um, and I call it an understanding survey because it should have no other, you shouldn't lead into that with an idea of the solution or the action that you're already going to take which I think a lot of companies do. They go, we've got this problem. Let's do a survey. Let's find out from people. And employees see through it. They're like, I know what people, they want me to answer here. It doesn't lead to anything. So ultimately what I had to do in a a school setting or a classroom setting, which is exactly the same for like small teams, I would even maybe do it in different teams. So rather than, you could do a whole company wide one, but I would also do team ones that maybe a 20, 25, up to 50 people launch an anonymous survey which has questions like, what's the most important thing going on in your life right now? You could even just launch two questions or one question. That question itself, if you did it company-wide and you did one a month for a year, would give you so much information and data and you would share that with your staff as well. Because if you create an environment where, and again, I did this, I used to do this with a post-it note. um, And I'll give an example. It actually again came as an accident hadn't planned the starter after a christmas holiday quickly whacked out a load of post-it notes right kids as you're coming in write the best and worst part of your holiday best you don't have to put your name on it just put your best and best and worst part best and worst part i collect them at the end i want to know what's going on in your life read them put your name on it if you want don't if you don't read them all and i've been stood at the front going oh, i had a great christmas with my family got a new uh garmin watch you know so now i can." track everything i can see when you put my heart rate up and stress levels and all that sort of stuff and i read the, through them afterwards they'd left the class and i just got a really great understanding of kate okay, oh they have been doing this this and this And this one there was one that said best part of my holiday playing the drums at church and i got to play the drums loads worst part of my holiday still waiting for my christmas present and my heart just went oh. one because i've been up on you know at the top saying oh i had a great holiday and two, and I knew and I knew that some of them probably wouldn't have had, and I don't know what was wrong with me. So automatically as a leader, I had an understanding of where my team, where my students are at, and how my actions and words could have affected them based on what they've been through. And the second thing was I, I could act on that. Um, now, it was anonymous, but I could recognize the handwriting, so maybe I cheated a little bit. But... I kept him behind at the end of another lesson, this young lad. And with another teacher that I shared the class with. Got him like an annual, a Man United annual. Um, five pounds, cost me five quid. And um the other teacher, she got him a Marvel. We knew he was into Marvel, we knew the support menu. Kept him after class. Am I in trouble, sir? No, 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 you're not. Just I just want to speak to you quickly, but oh. gave him these and it's it's oh, it gives me goosebumps now. Just Knowing in that moment that like we'd made a difference, and he was just kind of like, oh, you know, he's fifteen-year-old lad, and he was he was a popular kid, played football, all of these things, and he just knew then that someone cared for him. And he was good beforehand, but he after that, my God, he'd be in school, he'd be doing all his homework perfectly, everything, and it just, you know, taught me. And then one day, he also said, "Oh, sir, can I just come into your class at lunch? I just want to read the Marvel." Yeah, of course, come in just sitting there and and that connection that was built like i would like to think he will never forget that because i will never forget it because the impact it had on me um and it made me aware of what's going on in my class and it was a simple question it took no time at all now you could do that on slido or mentimeter you could send it out well um you know across the company but what's interesting is also that everyone else will want to find out the answers of what everyone else is experiencing. So you're going to get buy-in from that question. It's not going to be a survey where they're going to be like, oh, I've got to fill this in, it's 10 questions. Just do one, maybe do one a week, change it up. And it can be the empathy survey for your company. It can be the understanding survey. But it will allow you as leaders to go, hang on, we've just you know implemented something um, that actually 10 people in our company are experiencing this and we haven't spoken about it properly enough. And you don't need to know who they are. I think we focus so much on, on that. You just need to know that some people are going through some shit and some people are going through really great times. And the, the great thing about asking what's the most important thing going on in your life right now is it's not, it's not balanced either way. People will read that and they will answer themselves based on just moved in with my girlfriend or I've just been diagnosed with cancer. And you can then say, and then you can extend an arm saying, These are the things that are going on. We are a company here to support you. Please reach out. We know there's some real serious things going on in this company right now for people in their personal lives. Let us know how we can support you. And people say, Oh, but then you have, you know, you get people that you're asking them to share things. No, you're giving them the autonomy to share what they want to share. People will share what they want to share and you don't have to pull it out of them. Um, And it's a safe space. And it's about, you know, this phrase, psychological safety, creating it. I actually think the online world is really good for that. I've done some workshops in person and online thing about online is, especially when I use some of the films and we've created films and topics that range from suicide to Islamophobia, to down syndrome, to positive things like chasing your passion and music, like all sorts of things. And excuse me, giving people the autonomy to just click off their camera for a minute is also super powerful. Sometimes online uh, can be a really powerful way to deliver workshops that, that are talking about personal issues. Because um, in person you can go, oh, you can leave the room at any point. And it's like, oh yeah, okay, real tough moment. I'm going to stand up crying, leaving the room. Um, so I think, sorry, I've gone on a massive role there, but I, I do... And, I do want to bring it back to the simplicity of if you don't have any technology, you could just put a post-it note. Um, but I do think technology can be really like a Slido or Mentimeter. I use Slido personally, because you can just send it out um, and people can do it at any point in time. And the information that's collected from that can then inform your your the way that you speak and communicate. And it can it can make people feel seen and heard, especially if you then say, to share the findings. And the thing about Slido is that it can, you could also do a word cloud from from it. So you can do all these things that are visual represented that take you as a an organization no time at all. And you can say this is how we feel. And if you did that a week every week, every year, you could see trends, okay, what's happening? Where are people needing support? What are the issues? Where are we not doing stuff to help people? Um, I think that's probably my my best piece of advice.
0: I love it. I really, really like that because I think if you, uh, as an organization, if you, whether it's 500 or 1000 people, if you just ask that one question, you get a real understanding of like where those employees are mentally. And uh, obviously, like maybe you've implemented something recently in the business. And the month before everyone was happy and now everyone's not happy. Maybe it has something to do with the thing you've just recently implemented and you're getting this live feedback on an ongoing basis, whether that's once a week or once a month. So I really, I think that's a really good system. And I think it can be applied to, you know, schools, businesses, uh, communities, friends, the whole nine yards, I think. So, So thanks for that. Let's talk about Empathy Week. We've touched on it a little bit now. Um, could you tell us a bit about what it is and and how it started? Empathy Week, very simply, is we're a global schools program that
1: uses the power of film to develop the skill of empathy in students. And it's come about through I left teaching at twenty five. I then did various things, actually film filmmaking around homelessness, did various projects. It actually, led me to do a TEDx talk even around the power of motivation and and talking about you know just actions that we can do to help people who are homeless and that led me to the homeless world cup and then that's where I met slum soccer which I spoke about before um the homeless world cup is an organization that uses football um to bring people together and and basically it's 50 countries all of these individual organizations in their own countries and they're made up of people who have experienced homelessness or social exclusion or poverty in the past year phenomenal phenomenal tournament um And it was in Mexico in 2018. And I went there and then I met the Indian team. And they said, oh, you know, why are you here? I was like, good question. I'm just here out of like curiosity. And I was kind of like freelance facilitating. I actually did some work in Saudi at that point, running leadership courses for students with a private company and tutoring and photography and filmmaking. I was doing all sorts of things. And they said, oh, do you want to come to India? And I said, yes. And I went out there to help them. But I knew before I went out there, hang on, I am going to have an opportunity of a lifetime to, with with my students that I'd just been teaching in my head, being like, I could show them what life is like without it being poverty porn, without it being oh look how poor these people are, with actually it being about Sapna, Ravina, Pankaj, Abhijit, like these people that, that you actually get to see and meet and experience their life, and they get to tell their story as they want to tell it now obviously i'm filmmaking and editing so i have to be aware of you know what i'm the spin i'm putting on the editing but every film that i've ever made for empathy week that's gone out has always been ticked off and approved and checked by the person that's in it and and made with them and, and you know talking about oh what should we include what what should we not and it started in 20, we launched it in 2020 february great time to launch it um but we adapted to the pandemic. We then did the the, the two years after um, in the UK. We filmed people around the UK, managed to do that. And in three years, we've now engaged 140,000 students. Our reach is over half a million, but we've engaged students that have actually used the program, watched the films. It's been 140,000 students across 40 countries, from the UAE to USA, Mexico, Ecuador, Ghana, Nigeria, Vietnam, Australia, Nepal, India, UK, Switzerland, you know, name it most we've had loads and loads of students do it and it's just been amazing to put it out, out there. And I'll be honest, we're a startup. We've we've spent what, 600 pounds on marketing, I think so far. And like boosting posts and advertising. If any of your listeners are, you know, are experts in marketing and advertising, maybe they could give us a hand. But you know, we've got there through I think the power of what we're doing. And last year, you know, my science background has been bugging me um, since starting this to prove it because we know it makes sense the desk research if you look at all the other research film develops the power of em- uh, sorry film develops the skill of empathy we know that exposure to other people's lives can develop the skill of empathy we know what we're doing we're qualified teachers that run it you know I have the unique experience of now being a filmmaker and having worked with some great brands like Formula E and DHL and but also having been a teacher And so I can make the films knowing that this is what schools need and what I would actually use in a school environment. And it's not to like replace things that teachers are doing. It's actually the problem we're solving is that every school wants to have their student come into their school, have an amazing time, an amazing experience, grow, be educated and leave as a global citizen, someone that is equipped for life and someone that is equipped to succeed in life. At the moment, that is very heavily academic focused. It is changing. It is shifting. But teachers don't have time to make a, an amazing film that engages the attention of all their students. They don't. They do have time to make an assembly about empathy. Does it stick with the student? Is it cool? Is the music going? Are they engaged? We're trying to make it, empathy cool. It's not about making it you know, soft and wishy-washy. It's about, actually, you want to be a millionaire? I guarantee you'll need the skill of empathy to do that. You will need to be able to connect with people. You want to be able to like run your own business. You want to be able to work in the best companies in the world. You want to go to the best universities in the world. You are going to need to connect and engage with people from all over the world, especially now, especially with the, the world that we live in. You are going to be able to also have to recognize where you are in the world, how you you fit into the world and how to belong. This is a skill of well-being. This is a skill of actually ensuring that students not just leave. School with the skill of empathy, but that they've engaged with people from all over the world. We always say that we're building an empathy generation, and what that actually means in practical terms is that if you go from the age of five to the age of eighteen through school, through a school that takes part in empathy week every year of your life, you'll have experienced sixty-five different life stories from across the world. Like we're aiming to go to a different country and continent every year. So, if you think about some of the things that I've listed off just in the past three, four years that we've focused on. So from Down syndrome to, you know, Islamophobia, to uh, cyberbullying, to an Afghan refugee who's fled ISIS, to all of these stories. Like this year coming up it's focused in the pool, and our theme is opportunity education. And we have stories that we have a man called Tendi who has summited Everest 14 times. And people go, oh, wow, amazing. What a cool guy. Like, he does it because it was the only option he had as a child. He's a Sherpa, His surname's T- Sherpa. He's a Tendi Sherpa, He's a real life Sherpa, He was walking with kilograms and kilograms at 16, 15 up mountains, and then had the opportunity at 18 to do Everest. And has so far summited it 14 times. And people go, you know, in the Western world, you go, Oh wow, you've summited Everest. Like you trace back. He still leaves his family every year, his two young daughters, who I've had the pleasure to meet and have food at his house. And he looks back at them going. I could die.
0: It's so crazy to me, like a story like that, because I was thinking about this yesterday. Obviously, I've signed up for this 100-kilometer run, which I'm going to be doing in March. And um, and it's something that I, I'm i doing because I want to get uncomfortable, right? Like, we're always talking as the Western society, like, let's, you know, push the comfort, get out of your comfort zone, be, be uncomfortable, do things that are... Um, that are tough, et cetera, et cetera. And then I was thinking, I was like, like I have the privilege of choosing to do this, right? I have the privilege to choose to run a hundred kilometers, so run for 12 to 14 hours. And then I was like, there's so many people out there that were forced to run, right? Like they were forced to leave their home because of conflict, because of war, because of whatever else it is. And it just got me thinking, like it's, um, I think we miss that point very often. And I think the story of the Sherpa kind of kind of highlights that.
1: Yeah. And, and it gives students a perspective that they've never seen before. And the films are then, so the, the films, and then we've got a story about a man who's completely blind that lives in Kathmandu, who actually, if you're ever there, go to it, it's called Seeing Hands. It's a massage clinic and everyone in there is blind or I should say visually impaired, but like he is completely visually impaired. He's never even seen light or dark. He's never been able to differentiate it. What does he say? He says, I have a gift. I have been given a life that hardly anyone else gets to experience. How lucky am I? And you're just like, my God, like that's your perspective. And I asked him questions like, how do you dream? And then, you know, we're getting into a whole world of like craziness. (laughs) Um, How does he dream? He says that it's, you know, you dream related to the senses in your understanding of the world. So his dreams are in sound and touch, which we will never be able to understand. I, I mean, it's blowing my head now trying to think about it because our dreams are so visually led that it's very difficult
0: to... Your your, your problems become so small when you speak to someone like this. And then at the same time, like you, you got to just, you got to just wonder about all the things that we take for granted. Um, that he would be like eternally grateful to have as part of his life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But then you speak to him and he's almost like, you know, pitying us. And I think that's the almost like the amazing thing about it. Um, so you'll get, so, you know, Empathy Week is giving the experience to students all over the world to meet these people through film that they would otherwise never meet. And then when they come into the working world, it's like, oh yeah, I've met someone from Nepal, or, or, you know, like, I've, I've heard about Nepal. I actually know it's a country. I know what it looks like. Oh, um, I once watched a film. You know, this could be 10 years later. I once watched a film about a Sherpa and I understand now this, this and this. And the power of Empathy Week is not, and originally I thought it was the films. I thought and it, the films are the base of it and there's, there's lesser resources. And then we actually give empathy action projects and then we have a global awards as well, which is all amazing. But the power comes from the conversations that happen after the film. So the film is the unlocking key to a student doing one of two things. And I think this is true for anyone. You have one of two things. You either have someone that says, do you know what? I've experienced a little bit of that in my life. And this is this is how, and this is, it's not the same, but I've experienced being bullied. And, and it gives confidence to people to speak about stuff they've been through because they don't feel alone because they can relate to, person in the film and all the people in the film are just amazing people. So all it unlocks that uncomfort about maybe speaking about yourself. And then you've got the other person type of person who'll go, I had no idea what that was like. But now I have a greater perspective. And then you listen to the person next to you and we have classmates listen. And just one one last thing of like an example of of the power of this. There was a teacher and this was after the first year, there was a teacher who had a young a Pakistani girl in her class. She'd arrived two years ago, had been bullied, made fun of because of her accent. I think this was in, in the UK. And after watching one of the films in India, just kind of raised her hand and said, that's what it looks like where I come from. And then all of a sudden, the students that are in the class, maybe some that had made fun of her, although it wasn't Pakistan, it was in it was India, they understood or realised Okay, this girl has come from here. I've messed up. I, you know, it leads to behaviour change. And the amazing thing about Empathy Week now is that we've done some pilot research with Cambridge Uni, and some people have actually published papers in empathy in education. And what our program has shown is that not only does it increase the the skill of empathy, empathy levels increase after the program, but it also increases self esteem. It also increases. Uh, sorry, it decreases othering. So students were asked beforehand um, how much they have in common or do they see anything in common with a child from another country? 34% are before, 26% after. Sorry, I messed it up. Yeah. So 34% before did not see anything in common with another child. That dropped to 26% after. And these schools had only done it, this is the first week they'd experienced it. I imagine and I predict, my hypothesis is that that will drop year on year on year because they'll be exposed. We talked about at the start, right? This empathy circle expanding, the bubble popping each year and bringing these films and experiences into schools. And also what was amazing to see, and this backs up the whole idea of empathy not being for people in a worse off position than you, is that pride in their friends increased. Like when I see my friend being happy, I am happy also increased. How important is that a skill for all of us, not just students? So when we see our friends succeeding, that we feel the importance of that and we can celebrate that with them as well. God, wouldn't that lead to a better world? You know, if we could celebrate the wins as well as be there for the losses. And I think we are sitting on a gold mine of something that can truly, and I mean gold mine in terms of wealth of 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 health, of well-being, of helping children who have been displaced or maybe have grown up not feeling like they belong, and those people that do feel like they belong being able to accept others into their environment and if we can do that and if you can do that in workplaces if we can do that in health services if we can do that in legal services if we can spread it across communities we can create an environment where okay I might not agree with you politically or I might not agree even with the way you live your life but I can communicate with you I can make you feel like you belong I can show you common decency respect and I truly believe that is going to improve life for everyone. And I think that is the the most important thing you can take away about empathy is it is a tool for life. No one is ever perfect. No one ever has it down. Even I mess up like daily understanding the other people. But then you recognize that and then you try and add that to your arsenal of, okay, I've messed up there, but next time I know how to do this a bit better. And it's a muscle. Yeah. It's a yeah. muscle. You've got to train it. Totally. And if you you don't use it, you lose it. So. Just keep trying to understand other people, even if maybe it goes against your instinct.
0: And I think what I love about Empathy Week too is it's such a conversation starter. Like if you're sitting in a class and you're watching this and you relate, one, you know, you realize it's not just you. I think that's a big one. And the second thing is like, you know, maybe someone else in this class is going through this. Maybe we should have a conversation. And Like, I guess you normalize talking about your feelings, right? Which is not the most common thing when you're, when you're growing up in school. Um, and I think it's becoming much better. I think a lot of schools are implementing, you know, understanding your emotions and, uh, and labeling them and and how to deal with these things effectively, how to feel your feelings, but having something, the content because I've seen some of the content and it's, and it's so relatable, right? Like it's it's filmed in a cool way. The music's great. Uh, it almost looks like a cool ad, uh, the way it's filmed. And, um, and for kids, if they can engage with that and then see it as something um, impactful and powerful, I think, you know, you're doing a fantastic job.
1: Oh, thank you very much. And just one last point on that emotional literacy. Actually, before every film, we put a check-in before and after. And it's different for different age groups, but we almost have like this emotional wheel which is filled with vocabulary. And it is as simple as training young people. Name that emotion that you're feeling or name that thought that you're feeling. And we also have it in colours. So if you can't put a a name to it, choose a color or choose a sound and just label and then you watch the film and then afterwards you do the same thing. And it will always change now why has it changed will be something to do with what you've just experienced at a certain point and if you can label and find that certain point within the film you can start to identify your own experiences how they've affected you and building up this emotional literacy over time is so important and it's so simple and you, and also what i think always great education is is you don't have to label what you're doing you're just saying we're going to do it. you don't have to say oh and now we're building our emotional literacy and now we are building the skill of empathy Like that's Old school, it's boring, it's dull. Stop it. Let's just make stuff cool, make it interactive, make it fun, make it engaging. And the other stuff will happen. It's like we've got six key skills that we talk about. They're there, but they're, we don't label them absolutely everywhere because we don't want it to be tick box, tick box, tick box. Because that's what education has been notoriously. And it's led us down the path of trying to assess everything. Like this is an opportunity for teachers to really connect with their classes. And we know that that will lead to academic success. There's evidence out there that says it does. So let's just keep pushing this idea of safe spaces, opportunities to talk, and opportunities to belong. And if you can build that, the world is is your oyster. What's uh, what's next for Empathy Week? Hopefully, you know, I, I genuinely don't understand why we can't be in absolutely every school in the world. So we make it free to every state government school across the world um we do that partly through partnering with organizations so we've partnered and sponsored we've had snapchat sponsor us for two years we're talking about a third year in a row we're now talking to an, a great a great um education vr company called Kabuni. so you know we're like i think we'll eventually enter the metaverse and in, in future um we will still always have films i want to kind of up tech and down tech so i want to bring our films into storybooks that are going to be more accessible for certain parts of the world and um we make it really reasonable price for independent schools it's like two pound a head for a whole program that goes pretty much for four or five months if you want to take part in the action projects and we have amazing judges such as like gavin dykes who's the director of the education world forum and actually you know you say that to a child and say look here's someone that works with all the education ministers in the world looking at your work it's pretty cool um so what's next for empathy week is we're continuing we're just Every year, bringing five amazing films, trying to make the films better, supporting teachers more. One thing we're doing this year a lot, which we'll start to see on social media if if you follow us, um, is that we're trying to also elevate the way that teachers are seen in society and share their stories as well, what they're doing in their environments. And we have an amazing international teacher ambassador network, which consists of teachers from Nigeria, Vietnam, Bangladesh, India, Nepal, uk all over um so that's what we're we're planning to do and anyone that is hopefully inspired by this please reach out please connect um and i always say everyone knows a teacher because you were kind of taught by people so send the website which is empathy-week.com send it to teachers that you know um because i think it would really help and support them to do a job that they're already doing offer a unique perspective to it and help support them, um, deliver education for their students.
0: Totally. I've seen the videos. They're, they're phenomenal. I think very, very touching, even, you know, as an adult watching this, you learn a tremendous amount about, uh, about the lives of the people that you filmed. And so if you're, um, if you're a teacher, if you're someone who works in a school, definitely reach out to Ed. What is the best way, uh, to do so? Is it through the website? Yeah, we have a contact form on a website, which actually links
1: straight to me. Um, so that's, that's probably the best way. Um, and, you know, if you're working at a company and want to speak as well, we do do workshops, like you said, I've used, we say the 11 to 18 film, but actually, it's the adult version of the film. And there are some real serious topics in there, which we've used very successfully with with organizations to help open conversations, whether that's around diversity, inclusion, or whether it's around mental health and well being, or leadership skill development. So reach out, always willing to connect. That's what empathy is about, right? Connecting with other people. So yeah, visit the website. Um, I'm also really active on LinkedIn. Um, So Ed Cohen on there, and I'm at Ed Cohen on Instagram and Twitter as well.
0: Perfect. Ed, I really appreciate your time today. I think we learned a tremendous amount about what you do about Empathy Week. And I really hope that everyone listening to this is going to go check it out. It's definitely going to impact your life for the better. So Ed, with that said, thank you very much for being here today.
1: Amazing. Thank you for having me.